Thank you. Yes, wonderful to uh, be here and hear everything I was going to say. So um, I guess I can sit down. No, good morning. It's great to be with you here in person and those of you who are joining online. You'll see a, a picture of my uh, family on the screen there. Shelley and I have been married for, this will be our 35th year coming in May. And so it's a delight. She doesn't always travel with me, but it's wonderful to have uh, her with me today. The other beautiful um, uh, woman in this picture, the shorter one, is my daughter, Sadie. Uh, she's a chemotherapy nurse half, uh, living in my basement currently. So if anyone wants to take her off my hands, I would be, uh, be happy with that. She's gone here and there, but currently she's in our home. And um, the other beautiful lady is my daughter-in-law, uh, Mira, and beside her is my son, Ethan. And Ethan is uh, an industrial millwright, which is what I used to do um, before I was, uh, was a pastor. So that's our little family. And the reason I'm showing you this picture is that this picture um, not only gets all of us together in one spot, but it was taken um, just outside of Kiev, Ukraine. And so you know what's been going on in the world um, recently around um, uh, Ukraine and the invasion by Russia. And so I show this picture to say that um, we have been helping uh, my son and his wife Mira uh, bring um, eight of her family members to Canada over this, uh, this past summer and fall. And so it's just, I show it just to say that it's part of our, our current story, caring for them in the midst of that. And I just want to say that um, the, the, um, the ability of, of God to step into a situation that seems um, um, dire. And um, so just to say that when war comes to your house, when war comes to your house, God will be faithful as he's been faithful to this family. And I could tell you miracle after miracle of how God, God got this family. And I'll show you the next picture. This is all of us at, uh, this is all of us at Christmas time and, uh, on Christmas Day. And to get this family out of Ukraine and then different parts of Europe and then to the United States and then to Canada. And so when uh, war seems to come to your, your home, you can believe that um, God is faithful. They, Igor, who is the father of my Ukrainian counterpart, stepped out of his home one day at the beginning of the war and they could see the, they could see the missiles going over their house. And that from that moment when he decided to leave, God put things in place. They were on the, on, the road, on the road and on the run for three months. But God provided places and connections and opportunity. And now, now they're, they're, they're in Canada. But dearly longing for, for their homeland. Dearly longing uh, to be reunited again. So that's us. So I'm in this new role. As a, uh, as a regional minister. I was a local church pastor for, for 17 years, and then uh, John Crossman asked me uh, to become a part of the, the national team, and so on behalf of John, the national team, I bring uh, greetings this morning. Today I want to talk to you about something that the, the Lord has been uh, steering my heart toward in, ever since I started as a, as a regional minister. And I, I fully believe that this is an important truth, uh, not just for me, and I believe it was something that God was putting on my heart for me, but I also believe that it was a, an important message for the body of Christ in this hour. And the truth that's been growing in me is that God is calling the church to be 
have a consuming zeal for his house. That we would have a consuming zeal for his house. And what makes that as important, and I'll talk about a little later in my message, is the, is the distractions, the, the disappointments, and the deception that we're seeing uh, in this season. So let's, let's talk about it. That phrase, zeal for God's house, comes from Psalm 69, verse 9. I'd like to read those first nine verses to you this, this morning. Now, just to get the context of what I want to share today, if you don't want to, you can turn in your devices or your scriptures, uh, but this is Psalm uh, 69, uh, uh, starting at verse 1. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck, and I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The flood engulfs me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched, my eyes fail, looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. I am forced to restore what I did not steal. You know my folly, O God. My guilt is not hidden from you. May those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me, O Lord, the Lord Almighty. May those who seek you not be put to shame because of me, O God of Israel. For I endured scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a stranger to my brother and an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house consumes me and that the insults of those who insult you fall on me. This is what the, the uh, sorry, to introduce this, let me say that, that this is one of the Psalms that is characterized as lament. In fact, one third of the 150 of Israel's hymns, these Psalms, are lament. What is lament? Lament is the longing for things to be different, that desperate cry to God that he would acknowledge that the, that the situation is not, is not the best, and to cry out to God for things to change. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been, this, been there in this season of COVID where you're just, you're just sick and tired and sick and tired of being sick and tired. And maybe you're saying, I have, I have one nerve left and everyone's standing on it. Maybe you've been there before and you've cried out to the God, Oh Lord, I'm tired, I'm sad, I'm frustrated. And, and aren't you so thankful that this genre is, of, of literature is in the scriptures? That we can complain. That we can go to the Lord with this, with this deep sorrow that we're feeling and the, and the disconnect that we're feeling in our lives. We can go to the Lord. And that's, that's so important to know that we can do that. And here... Here the writer is confessing his sorrow and confusion over how other people are treating him. He's calling out, but nothing seems to change. And so many people are against him. So many, he says, that they outnumber the hairs on his head. Now, I don't know what, this, what the psalmist looked like, but I'm assuming he had a few more hairs than some of you. But, <laughs> but he's crying out to the Lord. So many people are against him. And maybe it's an exaggeration, the number of people equal the hairs on his head, but he's, 
He's feeling the weight of opposition. He's a target even to his family. Why? Because of zeal for God's house consumes him. He's being persecuted for his faith. I came across this passage after a season of asking the Lord what he wanted to do in me. As I embarked on this new ministry of being a pastor to pastors and traveling around and and sharing with congregations, what is it the Lord wanted to do in me when the church is leading in a space we've never been before? We've never been in this place before, a post-pandemic church. We've never been here before. How do we lead in a place like this? What What are the guidelines? What do you want to do in us, Lord, as a church in this difficult place where everything seems to be unraveling? What do we do? How do we stay focused? How do we follow you faithfully? And nothing in that time of prayer came to me, but I turned to the scriptures that day, as I often do in the morning, and I was reading a psalm because, again, during COVID, lament was my friend. Lament was our friend in the midst of difficulty. It's an invitation to be honest before the Lord, to share our heart, to say, hey, this really stinks. I hate it. I don't understand. But Lord, be in the midst of it. That's lament. And there I was asking the Lord for what he wanted to do in my heart. But I turned to the scriptures and there that day reading Psalm 69, what we just read. And I came to that line there, for zeal for God's house consumed me. And it jumped, you've been there, right? It's that word that jumps off the page at you. And I sat with it for a while and I began to process what I believe the Lord was directing me in. And I remembered that this is what the disciples say about Jesus in the temple when he turns over remember the story in john 2 where he turns over the over the tables when he sees what the money changers are doing and the disciples are thinking about that and they say hey it's a zeal for god's house that is consuming him a zeal for god's house was the stimulus behind Jesus' action towards uh, justice. But if you think about it, wasn't a zeal for God's house or the things of God for his will and for his way, wasn't that behind everything Jesus did? Wasn't that with a guiding principle behind his life? Even as a 12-year-old boy, he, when asked about his behavior, what did he say? He said, did you not know I would be about my father's, help me out, business, right? Which is another way of saying, did you not know that I'd be about my father's house, the household, his business, his affairs, his house. And in public ministry, Jesus would say, I don't speak on my own. I only share that which I've been commanded to share. I don't act on my own authority. I only do what the one who sent me asked me to do. So Jesus had, the point that we claim to follow, Jesus had 
a full-blown consuming passion, an abiding desire to serve God's purposes in this world. That word for zeal can also be translated fury, which sort of gives you another picture of how white-hot Jesus' devotion was and commitment and allegiance that he had to completing the Father's mission. And we see some of that fury in the turning over of tables and the fashioning of a whip to drive the, the, the people and the money changers out of, and the animals out of the, out of the temple. So little wonder John makes the connection between what he's seen Jesus doing and this psalm, Psalm 69, verse 9. And of course, the epitome of zeal is Christ's willingness to endure the cross, to die in our place, to be broken and forsaken by God so that you and I might be healed and reconciled to God. But it didn't start with the cross. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the entirety of his mission is proof of Christ's consuming zeal. Everything we know about him points in this direction. Jesus could pray in John 17 to his father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you have given me to do, John 17, verse 4. Imagine you and I being able at the end of our life saying, I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've brought you glory by doing everything you've asked me to do. But how is that even possible? It's only possible if we have a dedication and fervor for God's house. But don't misunderstand me this morning. When we say house, we don't mean a building. You remember that the disciples are visiting Jerusalem and they're pointing to the temple and they tell Jesus how impressive this massive structure is and the size of the, the stones that make up its foundation. And he warns them, you remember this, that he warns them that every one of these massive stones will one day be laying side by side with each other, laying down beside each other. Why? because the, the Romans eventually will come and, and destroy Jerusalem in AD 70. So he says, don't, don't look at this building, this temple, as the, this is God's house, because one day it's going to be gone. So house doesn't mean building. Now, I know that we're used to calling uh, this place God's house, the structure God's house, but I trust that you also know that the building the more important truth is the building is not the church, amen? The building is not the church. You are the church. You and I are God's household. We together are the living stones that, are, uh, that, that have become the spiritual house. And who is the head of our household? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the head of our household. So what do we mean uh, by uh, house, what we mean by house is that everything that falls under God's administration and his rule, that's God's house. And that's the house that Jesus was zealous for. And what falls under, uh, what falls under God's administration, what is the scope of his rule? Everything. 
Everything is, falls under the rule of God. All people, all places, all things, all purposes, all the promises that he has established are, represent his house, and Jesus is the head of that house. He rules everything. So, when, so house includes the church, but it's much bigger than the church. When we say that Jesus is Lord, we're saying he's Lord of everything, which obviously also includes the house. To have a zeal for God's house is, is, is about not just coming to church on Sunday. Having a zeal for God's house means having a, a kingdom life, a kingdom focus, a kingdom passion, that every moment, every molecule of your life, every, every moment of your existence falls under this lordship of Christ as king. We sang it this morning. That Christ is Lord, he is king, and he's king over all those things in our lives. And to have a kingdom passion is to be, is to, to be zealous about his house. To be passionate about what God's passionate about. To work for everything he's working for. So that what is true in heaven might be true on earth. It's to see, to have a kingdom passion and to be zealous for God's house is to, is to see the kingdom come. And what happens, what happens when the kingdom comes? God gets his way. Lives are changed. When the kingdom comes, there is peace, there's reconciliation, there's true justice, and there's love for all people, and ultimately the renewal of all things. That's where history is heading. Even though we look out and we see war in our world and we see pandemics and probably more pandemics on the horizon, and it looks like the world's coming apart. But you have to know as Christians, we believe that the history has a trajectory. And that trajectory is moving every day closer and closer. Though it doesn't look like it. It's moving closer and closer to God bringing his coming and the renewal of all things. It's the horizon to which all Christians must, must look toward and believe it's just around the corner. Now, because that's true, and because that's the gospel of good news that we bring to the world, we are called to go to every corner of our globe. The good news to our, to our Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria and the ends of the earth, so that that rule of God might be established in the hearts and the lives of those people that we come in contact with. And only as human lives are transformed, then can communities be transformed and countries be transformed so that people might live in peace with God and peace with each other. All that and more falls under the umbrella of God's house. It's the horizon that, again, that's meant to be a consuming vision and passion for all of us who name the name of Christ. So where does this zeal come from? Where does this zeal come from? How do we cultivate it in our lives? Well, you can certainly ask the Lord for it. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to grow us in Christ-like character. In fact, in our, in our denomination that in this year, our focus for our leaders and, our, and, our, and the development of our discipleship is around Christ-like leadership, Christ-like character. 
And if zeal for God's house consumed Jesus, and Jesus is the one we're following and meant to be conformed in his image, then it makes sense that if he's that way, then we should be this way. That we should also have a consuming zeal for God's house. Romans 12:11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Titus 2.14 says that Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager, same word, eager, zealous, passionate, focused on, intentional, eager to do what is good. So how do you cultivate zeal in your life? You can certainly spend time in the Lord's presence asking for a greater zeal. I mean, look at your zeal tank this morning. Look how passionate, look at, of all the things you're passionate about, those of you who watched the Toronto Maple Leafs last night, all the things or whatever it is you watch and are into, do we have, we have time for some things, but we don't have, to, where, is your, where, is the, where is the tank, your zeal tank? God doesn't ask us to do something that he's not going to provide for us, so go ahead and, and ask him for more zeal, for a greater zeal, for greater passion. I think he's longing to answer that prayer. But beyond that, there's something more the Lord showed me to do with regard to zeal, and we can put it on. We can put on zeal. Most of you... Uh, are familiar, I'm assuming most of you are familiar with the language of Ephesians 6 uh, that talks about putting on the full armor of God so that we might stand against the schemes of the enemy, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, and so on. Well, some of that language comes from Isaiah 59, and it describes the Lord's own action in bringing salvation to his people. I'll start reading at verse 15. It's on the screen for you. Isaiah 59, verse 15 says, The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? and helmet of salvation on his head, Ephesians 6, and put on the garment of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. can also be translated fury. Trans uh, wrapped himself in zeal as, as in a cloak. So the Lord accomplished his purposes and worked out of our salvation by putting on zeal as a cloak. So in the same spirit of Ephesians 6, where Paul tells us to put on the armor, which is another way really of saying put on Christ, I want to encourage you with this Old Testament example, that beyond asking the Lord for it, you can also put it on. What does that mean? It means deciding at the beginning of each day to be about your father's business to care for the issues of his house, 
to put on intense desire, to be eager and passionate about the things of God. Before your feet even hit the floor, commit yourself to serving God this day so that his administration, his rule can be part of your home and your family and your vocation, that you will allow him to move in your life, in it and through it, in every way possible that he deems that he wants to. I mean, how many of us today went outside without getting dressed? I see you're all dressed today. We make the assumption that we would just prepare for what the day has for us. You don't have that a rule here. We don't have a clothing rule here, do you? You should probably should, because somebody just might. No, they never would. They never would. We don't do that. And yet, I mean, the odd teenager goes out the door without his coat, for sure. And yet, how many of us go out the door of our homes or apartments or condos or wherever it is you live, and yet you are not sufficiently clothed in spirit and in attitude for whatever the day may hold. Because I'll tell you the truth, if you don't set the agenda for your day, guess what? Someone else will, or something else will set the agenda for your day. So it's absolutely important that you set the agenda so that you're not caught in fear, you're not caught in worry, or you're not caught in that ugly besetting sin that, that keeps coming back again and the reason you need to go to emotionally healthy relationship course because you haven't dealt with it yet. It happens. Am I lying? It happens every day to us. But if we go out sufficiently clothed for the day then it's different. God, now the same people come and stand on that one last nerve of ours, but we have a different response. We have a response that brings grace and life and possibility at reconciliation, not the furthering unraveling that the enemy wants for all our relationships. Amen? We have the opportunity. So put it on. Put it on at the beginning of every Day. I think that's exactly what Jesus was getting at when he said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and what will he do? He'll add all the other things we normally think about first. He'll take care of them. If you seek first the kingdom, all the things we normally are perplexed and worried and confused about, like paying your mortgage or raising your kids or having enough for this or that, all that, he said, I will look after that. You see, when we place everything under his house and he gets to rule it, how many know that he rules in peace and love and justice? He'll give you the resources you need to live a godly life. In fact, the Bible says that, that in Christ we have everything we need to live a godly life. But it starts, it starts with our own attitude. It starts with our own posture toward our day and to what he has given us. So put, put it on. 
There are other scriptures that talk about putting on Christ and clothing ourselves with the new nature and putting on the armor of light. There's so much in scripture that tells us to put stuff on. Ephesians 4.24 says that we're told to put on the new self created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. You can live a holy life despite all the temptations. You can put it on. Put on Christ. Colossians 3, 12, 13 says, Therefore, as God's holy, or sorry, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with each other, and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. These are the very dispositions that allow us to love and not hate, to be compassionate and not indifferent. These are the very traits that allow us to be good news to the people that we come across. So during this week, just a moment of reflection for you this morning, uh, or those watching online, just, um, just, just think for a moment. You know your week. I don't know your week. You know your week. What did you put on? What did you put on this week that was helpful to you or to someone else that blessed them, that gave them hope? showed patience and a willingness to journey with them. What did you put on that helped you or helped someone else? But the other side of that, what did you put on that was helpful, unhelpful to you or to someone else? That bitter, that bitter root that's still there, that jealousy, that very quick response, that impatience that wasn't helpful at all. Wasn't helpful. You know you're weak. What did you put on this week? It's actually probably, probably a good, good thing to, to end our day with as we now we've put our feet back in bed. We say, say Lord, where, where, did I, where, where was I about your business? And where was I missing? Missing what you had for me today. A bit of prayer of examine about where he, where he was and where he wasn't in your life. Again, Romans 12, uh, 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Earlier I mentioned uh, why I think this truth is important for this hour. I think it's important for this hour for um, probably a whole host of reasons, but the three that I've picked out this morning, uh, the first one is um, distractions. Some of you are old enough to remember uh, George Bush's war in Iraq, and they were looking for uh, WMDs, weapons of mass destruction. Um, well, there's, uh, those things probably still exist, and they're probably still looking for them, but um, there's, uh, there's another WMD, and that's the weapons of mass distraction. We are so distracted today. I mean, even us old timers, and I'm old too, I know I don't look like it. Not as young as you are, sir, but um, we always have a screen in our face. Every, it's in our car, it's in our hand, it's everywhere we go there's a screen and it's telling us something and we're following our screens around. We're so distracted. And I know coming out of COVID we were isolated and, and then we're just sort of, the doors flew open and we're now we're 
Now we're distracted by all kinds of things. We got on with, you know, through the pandemic, we got on to other things on a Sunday, and so we're, you know, don't find ourselves in God's house anymore, and we're just, all, all our hobbies became big for us because we just have to get out of this isolation, and we're so distracted. And the enemy just turns out more and more and more distractions every day. But again, if we're not seeking, uh, seeking first the kingdom, then God can't pour into all the things that we worry about. We get distracted about paying bills and making a living and raising kids and all those things. But all those things fall in place when we have a zeal for God. Because he's the life giver. He's the one that's provided all these gifts. And they're meant to be used and enjoyed. But under his authority, under his rule, under his administration, so that they glorify him and bring life to us and not become a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes the main thing. It was never meant to be that way. So distractions. I think the body of Christ is so distracted right now terribly distracted. We've got a political situation in our, in our country. Just massive distractions that take us off course. And I've seen it as a regional minister. I've seen churches fighting each other about these political issues, about wearing masks or not wearing masks or convoys and all this stuff. And, and it's not that we shouldn't have a comment on those things or participate in those, those things. It's just they became the main thing. So much so that we would look down on our brother or our sister because of it. I've seen churches imploding from the inside. Distracted. Distracted. The next is, is, um, is discouragement. And I don't think I need to go very far into that. It's just been a discouraging time. Uh, inflation, my goodness. That alone, economic, political things. It's, you've lost folks during COVID and couldn't have a funeral and all those, all those things that are just massive dis discouragements about things. So I don't need to, 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 uh, to comment more on, 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 on discouragement other than to say, what lifts our hearts? What brings us out of that deep pit of being discouraged with where we're at? except to focus on the Lord and the good that he has for our lives, that he is faithful. He will never let you down. He will walk with you. He will be present in your life. He will strengthen you. He will give you what you need. Yes, you may be in the valley, but he is in the midst of the valley. And he is the God who comes into the midst of our discouragement and raises us up and gives us hope for another day. And you can find, maybe you can't see too far in front of you, but you know because he is ahead of you, you can put your foot down and it will be solid ground. He will guide you. He will lead you. He will provide for you. But again, if we're, our eyes are somewhere else, if we're looking for something else to fix us, something else to save us, then the discouragement will only be a, the vicious cycle that goes down and down and down and down. The Lord is our hope, amen? 
He is what we are trusting in. We're not trusting in our, in our government. We're not trusting in uh, any medical system. We're not trusting in our, I hope you're not trusting in your retirement savings. I hope you're trusting in the Lord today. And the third one, I would say, so that's, that's uh, distraction and discouragement, but I think the, the third one for me is, um, is deception. Deception. I have a friend who is um, a contractor, and um, he was on the set of one of the Home and Garden shows. Um, does, does, any, is any, does anyone watch Home and Garden television and the renovation shows? Is anyone made to watch those? I am. No, I like them too. I, I, I've come to like them after all these years. Anyways, he was on, I won't tell you which one because they might be seeing this, but um, he was on the, the set of, of, of this uh, renovation, a $250,000 uh, home and garden uh, farmhouse renovation. And um, he was the, he did all the work. And his crew did all the work. But when you watch the show, what does it look like? What does it look like? It looks like the hosts are doing the work, right? So he would, they would tile a bathroom, and they would leave about six tiles in the corner undone. And that's the scene you and I see. So they even installed a, a beautiful um, a double vanity in a bathroom uh, and the bathroom was all done, and so then they were told to take the vanity out so that the show could show the, the hosts walking it in, walking it into the, walking it in the tub. And I, I that's a, this is silly. So I'm saying it's just a show. It's, it's not real. My point is that things are not what they seem. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all. I'm not. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but we live in a world where things are not as they seem. Because if you know that there are principalities and powers at work in our world, and what is their point to do? It's to deceive. It's to throw the wool over people's eyes, to, to have eyes that are, that, are, uh, that are hardened, or hearts that are hardened, and, and eyes that are glazed over so they don't understand what they're looking at. Things are, again, not a conspiracy theorist, but things are not as they appear. But how do we know what's really going on? How do we, how do we live our lives in the midst of, of this show that we're seeing, this deception that's all around us? How do you live in the midst of that? Well, you can't follow the cues in our culture. You have to follow the storyline of the scriptures. You have to follow the God of the scriptures. And you have to have the spirit of truth in your heart to know how do you live in the midst of a world that is unraveling and also is deeply deceptive about what is right and what is wrong and what is true and what is good and what is holy and what's best for us. And where do you find that except to walk closely with the Lord. And that's why I say a zeal for God's house is important in this hour so that we can walk true and be truly be the people of God, to be the hope that we need to be for our for our street and our workplace and our community.
so that we don't become part of the show, another actor in someone else's script, because we've got a script that's true, and that's the narrative of God's kingdom coming into this world, led by our King Jesus. That's the script we are called to follow. That's the, that's the narrative we want to live out in this world, but we'll miss it. And this is my fear, is that the body of Christ will miss what he wants to do in this hour because we're, we're discouraged and we're distracted and we're deceived. But I want to call the church and I want to call myself not to miss what he has in this hour, but to live with a zeal for his house that is guiding and directing and providing the insight and the next step in our journey with him. Matthew 24, and this verse haunts me, Matthew 24, verse 12 and 13 says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. The part that haunts me is, the, is that the, the, the love of most. Jesus is talking about the end of time. I don't know if this is the end, but we're closer to the end. Would you agree we're closer to the end than we were yesterday? Right? We're closer to the end than we were before. And Jesus says at the end of, of the end, how do we know these things are happening? He says, the love of most, that haunts me. He's talking about his people. The love of most will grow cold. But there's hope here. The one who stands firm, the one who's about his father's business, her father's business, the one who has a, is, is able to seek first the kingdom, the one who is, has a zeal, a passion, a burning desire to see God established in their home and in their community. A zeal for God's house will consume him. I think that's why this word's important today. So I encourage you to seek the Lord. I encourage you to put it on, not in a fake way, but in a real, intentional way, today, on this day, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that this word is timely for the folks of Country Hills Church today. I pray that by your spirit you open up this word to them so that their, their hearts might be open to receive what you are saying to the church today. That in the midst of all this unraveling, there is a way forward. And it is it's built on the foundation of trusting you first and foremost. So I pray, Lord, for each one here today that they would examine their hearts and they would be honest with you about the level of their zeal. Are they giving that passion to something else? Because we're the, 
where the focus goes, the energy flows. And so is that energy going to things that amount to nothing? Or is it going to the very thing that brings life, which is a deepening relationship with you? Lord, may we have, have hearts that are open to, in this moment to a, to a visitation of the Spirit to reorder order our priorities, particularly this is the beginning of 2023. It's a new year. It's not a New Year's resolution, but a, a lifetime a resolution to follow you with all the capacities and ways in which you enable us to do so. But Lord, in this moment, in this moment, I trust that your people are committing themselves to putting first things first, to surrendering those things that are, that are outside your, that they've been managing outside your rule, and that they would bring them under the umbrella of your lordship, and they would see you act in power and in grace that you would pour into their lives all they need for this coming year and the years that you give them. As they put on zeal. As they follow you in the strength and grace that you give them. I thank you for each one here today and those watching online. Bless each heart with this truth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.